Welcome to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Alta DeRue. Alta is a member of our Executive MBA class of 2022, and she is also a doctor. Alta and I recently connected to talk more about her background, how she decided to pursue an MBA, what led her to Darden, as well as how her time at Darden and her experience in the Executive MBA program helped her take on a senior leadership role in her organization, the Betty Ford Center. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is my interview with Alta Daru. Alta, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brett. Well, it's wonderful to have this time with you. You're still on the West Coast, right? That's right. I'm in California. Okay, so it's uh, middle of the day for you. I'm sure a beautiful day out there. <laughs> it is mountains, uh, clear skies, low humidity. <laughs> That's California. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to talk with you. How have you been? I cannot believe your class is about to graduate. It feels right. like just yesterday, y'all just started the program. It did fly by. It did. It did. So how does it feel to be at this point? So uh, it feels feels good. We have one more week left, uh, LR2. I'm looking forward to that. Almost like a final goodbye, too, to some of my uh, classmates along the way. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to wrapping it up and being done with it. It's It's almost relaxing just thinking about the fact that we're almost there. Like, it's soothing <laughs> thinking about that. I will tell you, you've probably already started to put this together, but the vibe of LR2, it's a low stress week. It's a victory lap week. It's we're here. We're going to graduate. We can see that right on the horizon. We're right there. It's such a fun time. It's so much fun. (laughs) Victory lap is probably the best way to put that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about about you because we got a lot of ground to cover here. I've been I, I whenever once I heard about your new job, I was like, we got to get Alta on the podcast. Yeah. So I'm so excited to have you have you here and to talk about your story. So let's let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, sure. What did you do before before coming to Darden? Tell us about your background. Yeah. So um, after undergrad, I went straight into the military and in the Navy, and I flew uh, E2C Hawkeyes as a, a naval flight officer. Did that for eight years. Uh, the military sent me to medical school. And so I trained as a obstetrician gynecologist, did that for probably the next 16, 18 years. And then while I was there in the military, I also became board certified in addiction medicine. And then after retiring from the military, uh, I worked with the University of Virginia. That's how I came really to know uh, Darden. And then it was uh, approximately two years later where I applied for your program. I, right as I got accepted to Darden, Literally within a week, I was uh, given this awesome job opportunity here in Southern California that has worked out well. So tell us where you are right now. So right now, I'm at the Betty Ford Center in Rancho Mirage, California, which is just outside Palm Springs. And next month, I will be in um, Minnesota, living just outside Minneapolis. I was promoted to chief medical officer Uh, during my time at Darden. And so I'll be moving up to Minnesota with all of the other executives and where our, where our flagship uh, places, hospitals are. So you got to go from Rancho Mirage, California to Minnesota. Right. (laughs) Different clothing is required. Right. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, that is a beautiful area of California. 
if people haven't been out there, it's you know, deserts and mountains and you're near mountains. Joshua Tree National Park yeah. out there. Yeah, so I'm probably 30, 45 minutes from Joshua Tree. And, you know, when it gets cold enough, we have snow-capped mountains when it's 80 degrees down at, you know, at normal level. So it's really cool living here. Palm trees everywhere. Yeah, it's really Wind turbines, cool. date farms. We, yes, we do have that. We are known for our date farms. You're absolutely, my house is on a former date farm uh, place. Yeah, absolutely. Well, also, I want to go back a little bit in your story because when I met you, and when you were applying to school, you were really working at this this intersection. It felt like of OBGYN and addiction that there was an interesting nexus here that I, I didn't necessarily think about. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how you got interested in addiction? Yeah. So I saw a lot of sailors and soldiers coming home from um, from war, and a lot of them were uh, – had uh, substance use disorders with both opioids and alcohol. Alcohol is something very socially acceptable within the military and opioids are what we would have to treat pain. They would be our pain reliever of choice. So um, patients would come in and during the time I was, I was at the NIH in Walter Reed and I was going through a fellowship for in vitro fertilization and was discovering how much this, this drug use uh, impacted the male side and started learning more about the female side, starting getting involved in um, that recovery aspect. And then the military supported me to become board certified in addiction medicine. So it was extra training I did. And as I started treating more women with substance use disorders, then they want their husbands to be treated and their boyfriends to be treated, preferably not at the same time, husbands and boyfriends. Uh, So I found just this nice intersection where I could treat moms with substance use disorder and then hopefully break that cycle of then babies coming out and falling within that um, lifestyle of substances. So it has really, um, really carved out a, a niche and was also one of the reasons that my current employer found me attractive too was that, you know, we have lots of physicians who practice addiction medicine, but rarely do we combine all parts of, of medicine. So I was able to combine OBGYN and addiction. It feels like there's been so much conversation around addiction in the United States over the past few, few years, in particular, um, the opioid crisis, fentanyl, all of these kinds of things um, Mm -hmm. uh, that must keep, you and your organization very busy, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, in March, uh, just last month, we had the highest number of admissions across all of our 16 sites that we've ever had in our 72-year history. So it is a real thing. We're seeing it here. Yeah. What do you chalk that up to? I mean, this has always been part of American life. And, uh, you know, I'm just curious, you work so closely with this, um, but it also feels like the degree to which it has become... Right. Um, problematic within our society is, is maybe even more pronounced. Uh, right. re- so, you know, during the pandemic, people were allowed to isolate. Well, we were told to isolate, right? We all stayed in our houses. And, and normally, if we were social drinkers, a lot of people would have the mitigating factors of going to a restaurant and a bar and it closing down at 10 p.m. or two o'clock in the morning. But now when people are in their house, and having alcohol delivered, there's no governing factor to stop their use. So addiction loves isolation. And so when you have people starting to use again, maybe they're returning to use, they may have been in recovery. 
this it, it was just a, a recipe that was just prime for those either recovering from substance use disorders or starting to have this alcohol use creep up on them. And then also one of the things that, that governed us, uh, our substance use, was that we wouldn't even think about going into the office hungover or drinking in the office. But if everything's virtual, there's nothing overseeing that. So now we're on hopefully the other side of this pandemic. People are starting to socialize more, spending time with family and friends that love them, taking a little notice of what's going on. And they're going back to work. And that's where we're seeing a lot of people raising their hands saying, I need help. That's interesting. The the pandemic aspect to this story, like the, the fact that people were isolated um, from their support networks. Um, they're wor- if they're working, they're working remotely typically. So again, another form of isolation and just, yeah, I can imagine how that could create all sorts of problems for people. Yeah. And you know, Brett, it, it's everybody. It is, it's, uh, it's physicians, it's, um, executives, it's moms, dads. Um, We're also seeing a lot of this in youth. So no longer do we think of the person with a substance use disorder as the person hanging out underneath the the bridge with a trench coat on, right? So these are high functioning people that also have issues with substance use disorder. So it, it doesn't know any boundaries. The disease doesn't have any boundaries. Well, you work with you work at Betty Ford now, and I think of that as one of the name brand institutions uh, right. in in the world of addiction and substance abuse treatment. Um, what was it like to move to that to that organization and, and do that work there? Yeah, you know, this is like the flagship. It was the original when we opened our doors in 1982, and and Betty Ford, the first lady, came out, raised her hand, and said, "You know, I've got a problem." normalized it for other folks who also had substance use disorder, but it was like taboo back then. So coming into this organization, knowing that the mission that is here and just is shared among all the employees gave me goosebumps when I walked in because everybody's here rowing the same direction with one mission. You walk in our foyer and there are just busts and pictures of President Ford, Mrs. Ford, it's a, it's a special place and we have a very large campus that's very tranquil, conducive to recovery. So honestly, the first time I drove up, uh, I got goosebumps walking through the threshold. Well, it sounds like it's, it's been an incredible opportunity for you and, and one that's uh, continuing to grow and, and right. evolve. And so we're going to get to that. But before we get there, I want to talk about how you decide to pursue an MBA. Because one of the interesting things about your class, Alta, I get this question from some of your classmates from time to time, is like, how in the world do we end up with this many doctors in one <laughs> class? I mean, it's double digits for our listeners who, who yeah. don't know that we, something like maybe 12, 13, 14 doctors of medical professionals. I should also add uh, nurse practitioners to that list. Um, right. So an incredible representation. And y'all, interestingly enough, were the class that applied during the early phase of the pandemic. So March 2020, uh, you were you applied in the 2020 admission cycle. Now, I think you applied a bit before uh, the pandemic was was on uh, was right. on our radar in the in the way that we'd come to know it. But still, um, it's interesting the timing and confluence of all those things. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think mostly among doctors, I can just speak for you know my my kind is I. Uh, We've all, all the the level that you see a lot of the physicians are in our class are they're they're mid career and we've seen the writing on the wall that you can only do surgery and deliver so many babies 
um, after a while, and then you hit a ceiling. There's only so much that you can do with that skill from, from medical school. But if you want to go beyond that and really understand why your organization does certain things or why your hospital makes certain decisions, you have to get more education. And I found for me, an MBA was very applicable for that. It was, it was probably the best decision that I could make, make to, to move higher. So I think that's why you're seeing a lot of MDs take that route is we thought medical school was going to be it, but that only carries you so far. And one of the things that some of the doctors have shared with me is, you know, they have managed a lot of people typically, but didn't ever really have any formal instruction or guidance in terms of how to manage, how to lead. Right. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I, you know, physicians aren't that great at, at leading people. We may have gotten a couple pearls here and there, but going the traditional role, which was uh, undergrad straight into medical school, you just don't have the opportunity to lead people. Now, I will say a lot of our class does have military, former military in it. And so we do have some military docs just like me. One thing that I would say is different about the leadership that I learned within the military and then the leadership that I learned through our courses in Darden is that it's a more sophisticated way of leading. It's a more mindful and more curious way of leading people instead of the, the leadership skills that were given to us in the military. Great skills, but when you get up into the C-suite and you're talking about business, then there's an you go to a different tier of leadership. And so I think that was one of the nice things I brought away from my MBA. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about the impact of your, of your degree as we start to get into your career uh, story a little bit later. But I'm curious about, you mentioned having a connection to UVA, UVA Health. Mm-hmm. What about Darden in particular appealed to you, resonated with you as you were making your MBA decision? So I was looking around for business schools. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get an MBA. And at the time when I was researching all of this, Darden uh, was top 10. I actually applied to Darden. If, if you were to look back, if somebody were to look back on my history, I applied to it two times and then got scared and then said, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. This is too much. And so it was finally on the third time where I actually completed the application and, and went forward with it. But I liked it because it was top 10 and I was in Virginia at the time. You know, heard really good things about it. And you mentioned... Very soon after, okay, I'm going to do this. All of a sudden, you have this major life change. And I remember that. I think you were curious, can you even do this from the West Coast? What does that look like? I mean, we do have students that do that, but not a huge number of students. So how did you think about the time commitment, what it was going to take for you to be an engaged member of the of the class? Right. So the first thing I did was share it with my employer because I had to have their support. And uh, they understood that getting my MBA was going to make me more, more valuable to them, right? And I'm in this. I'm a long haul in this company. I'm I'm here for for the for the rest of hopefully my professional career. And I was able to navigate it with the time change. The time change was advantageous at times. So there were times when we would have 8 a.m. electives that came Monday through Friday. So with me being on the West Coast, that was a little difficult. So class started at 5 a.m. 5 a.m. was no big deal, just made it work. And then for the classes that were offered in the evening, if I remember correctly, some started at seven or 7.30. And I was able to negotiate with my current employer, like, hey, on those days, can I have my work end early at like 4 p.m.? So then I would engage with class. And I was able to log on to, to class right from where you're seeing me now, right at my desk. So I could still be at work and seen as a leader, 
um, and then respond to emergencies that happen because I'm in a hospital. Um, but that's how I was able to to make it work with the time change and West Coast. And the traveling to Roslyn for this once a month weekend residency, right. was that okay? That was tough. So traveling to Roslyn on the weekends uh, was tough, was tough. I learned the airline routes uh, very easily and tried to get as many direct flights uh, that I could, not always possible from the Palm Springs airport, but I made it work. And you know, one thing I would say to other professionals who may be listening is that sometimes there's other professional obligations that I was able to meet while I was in DC with my current job and attending classes. So I was able to pair those together. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine Palm Springs to Dulles, maybe right. on occasion, not, not no, super frequently. It, it would be Palm Springs to Phoenix to uh, DCA okay. or Palm Springs to DFW to DCA. So. so you've gotten to know some airports well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully you've accrued some miles through all of this. Maybe I you'll have. take a trip. Maybe you'll take a trip <laughs> after after the program. So, um, all right. So let's talk about you come to Darden, right? You you have this important conversation with your employer, and I think it's great for prospective students to hear that because. Talk to your manager, even before you begin the application process, you know, for folks who are not going through that job transition, but get that buy-in early, have those conversations early, because I also think it's a great opportunity, not only to say, look, this is the value that I'm going to bring to the organization, but to also get a sense of maybe what might be available to you in the organization. If you had an MBA, what's possible uh, for you there? Those, those are interesting exploratory conversations, I think, for, for, for students and Encourage people to have those conversations early, often help people understand their motivation to take this step. So you come to Darden mm -hmm. and you are, you know, a brand new first year executive MBA student balancing a lot, a new role, commuting from the West Coast. What yep. was that like? It was difficult. It was difficult. I would never sugarcoat it. It was difficult. But the reason one, the, one of the reasons why I found it difficult is because when, when people come into business school, they're an overachiever on some sorts, right? You don't get slackers that end up at Darden. And so I was an overachiever in undergrad, in flight school, in medical school. And in my mind, I'm thinking I should be getting all A's, I should be getting all distinguished grades. And so that pressure that I was putting on myself to be number one and to be that A student turned out to not be necessary. You know, I was still learning. I was still bringing it in. I was still applying the knowledge that I had at Darden to my current job, which is the whole point of it. But it was difficult for me because I was putting all this pressure uh, on myself. Um, I still learned tons, uh, but I wasn't necessarily your uh, your A student high performer stuff because yeah, you have the you have the challenges of, of work and family. Yeah, you've got to make you got to make choices. Right. Um, and what, what's the priority for you? And, and I think what you just shared there is really important for our students to hear because we see prospective students wrestle with this in a lot of different ways. Right. You know, when they're trying to figure out, can you do school? Right. Oftentimes they're making themselves run this gauntlet of everything has to be you know, perfect and just so. And then get into the program and you're in a room full of really talented people. You've got a lot of things competed for your time. You may not necessarily be able to be the student you think you should be, whatever that is, um, right. in a given quarter, in a given class, just because of the other things that are impinging upon your available time. Yeah. You know, it was almost it was almost like six months into the first year. I gave this I gave myself the space of forgiveness 
where I quickly learned that there were people in my class who were brilliant, wonder, brilliant people. And I learned a lot from my classmates and my instructors, but I gave myself this space to say, okay, Alta, you don't have to be number one. Work and family are number one and Darden is right there. And to be three in my life is pretty darn good. <laughs> so, you know, so that's where it's at. And, you know, I, I, I did well, I, but the most important thing was, is that I, what I learned, even passively listening and engaging. That's a great point. That sort of focus on the learning orientation rather than some particular grade outcome. I think that's also really important because I think we, we become so conditioned in our educational experiences to judge the value of the educational experience oftentimes on how we did, you know, do we get an A? Do, do we do really well academically? It's a bit yeah. narrow. Um, giving yourself forgiveness, I think that can be hard for the kinds of people who are looking at programs uh, like yeah. the Darden Executive MBA program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially for the moms out there, too. You know, the moms or the dads who have kids who you have to say, sorry, kids, I'm going to need a couple hours to attend this class. You know, so it was yeah, me and my family and I both experienced that. Yeah, talk a little bit more about the family obligations that you were that you were balancing as well as part of all of this, because I think it's important for people to hear like there's a lot of stakeholders in your life and mm-hmm. you know, there's folks at work, but there's also really important people at yeah. home, too. So the perspective that I would be coming from is for a single parent and I have 11 year old twins who are very aware of what's going on and how I'm spending my time and what I'm doing. And I explained to them, hey, mom's going back to school, just like you were in schools, school now. And, you know, we set aside time to study and they understood. And they had as 11 year olds, they're getting to that age where they're like, well, why are you getting an MBA? And I loved explaining to them why I was getting it. I also love the fact that they saw mom studying and being able to balance work and them and school. So in that way, I was very much a role model for them. And I loved it. Um, the way that I negotiated my time with that, though, is that I would often wake up very early, 5 a.m. or so, and get my reading done. And then when they wake up around 6.30 or 7, then I could devote, I could be present for them. Or in the evening, I would carve out time for them and then read after they went to bed. So that's how I negotiated it as a single parent. I also involved them. I would tell them about the case studies. I would tell them about things. And believe it or not, they were interested, you know, so it was it was cool. I involved them. I think that's how I how I got through it. I think it's a really important point. Um, there can be a thing that sometimes happens for students while you're doing something like like an executive MBA program. Let's just talk specifically about the Darden program, where you can get so busy you forget to share the experience with the other people who are supporting you, and that that's not that's not great. Um, so it's cool that you involved them. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. I bought them I bought them little Darden T-shirts, and <laughs> they love it. So what do, what do they think now that you're about to uh, about to graduate? Yeah, they think it's pretty cool. I explained to them, you know, the letters, what MBA mean and, and what, you know, how this is also going to put on um, us at an advantage. You know, that's why mommy's able to rise up in her in her job. And so they're they're very proud of me they're, and they've said it and they're excited for graduation and and they're also excited for mommy to be back now, right? So now <laughs> I don't have to, uh, you know, read books at night, uh, you know, specifically for my MBA. I can be there for them. So they're excited for that, too. Yeah, you'll get some time back in your schedule, to be sure. Um, so 
I appreciate you're your talking about that because I think that's always on the minds of our parents, right? Um, particularly, as you mentioned, for the moms. I mean, we talk with moms who are prospective students. They are really asking that question of like, who is going to sort of, I, I'm, I'm going to go to school and there's going to be this, this gap and uh, who's going to fill, you know, what I currently do it might be a partner stuff, but you got to have those conversations. It's a really, really critical. And for single moms in particular, I think that's a, that's a, the dynamics of that decision different um, as well, because yeah. well, it's really you um, and, and you got to figure out your support network. Did, were there people that you en- enlisted or people that were helpful to you along the way? Yeah. You know, I found I found that when I shared with people that I was getting my MBA and that it was very challenging, you'd be surprised. A lot of people wanted to help out. A lot of people gave me the space or a little bit of leeway um, to, to miss an obligation here and there or to um, drive my kids home from school once in a while if they needed it. And all I would have to say is, you know what, I have a weekend full of finals. Can you take the kids for six hours? But it's because I shared with them that I was getting my MBA. Now, if I had kept this a secret, then I probably wouldn't have so much generosity for my community. But yeah, I did. I mean, the other moms, I shared with them that I was going back to school. And a lot of them could really identify with that. So I would say, make it known that you're doing this. And you'll see a lot of people will just come out of the woodwork to support you. That's a great point, Alta. One of the things somewhat related to asking and you know, giving yourself forgiveness or your, that grace, um, mm-hmm. it can also be hard for really motivated people to ask for help or oh, yeah. to display that vulnerability. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> what was that like? Yeah, it was a little tough. You know, when, again, you know, professionals, when we get to this stage in our life, it's because we are independent and we can do it all. But you really do have to give yourself that forgiveness and say, okay, I'm going to let this person come into my life and I'm going to ask, I'm going to let them help me because I'm going to be a better person for this. And you strengthen these ties. People really do want to help you out. But it was tough to to be weak in somebody else's eyes or to need that. But an MBA and going back to school is a pretty good reason to be weak and to raise your hand and say, hey, can you help me out a little, you know? Yeah, I should note for our, our listeners, there were air quotes around, around week. Um, yes, and, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I am, anybody who knows me knows that I, yes, the last thing I am is, is weak. But I, in my mind, or other people who've gotten uh, this type of mindset to, to be successful, um, I don't mean that uh, sincerely. I'm Absolutely. No, I think it's important because so much of what causes students challenges is this the difference, the, the gap between the perception of who you think you should be and the reality of perhaps who you need to be to get through the program and yeah. to move forward. And yeah. re- just sort of re- resolving that, I think is really important work, particularly for people who want to take on larger roles and more yeah. responsibility in their career. Right. Absolutely. Well, all right. So you get to Darden, you're navigating, uh, you're navigating being in a business, uh, in business school and juggling all these things. You're at Betty Ford. And I started to get wind, I will say, here in the admissions office that that you were interested in in a new career opportunity with Betty Ford, that you were sort of looking at that. You want to talk a little bit more about your career journey um, after after you started the program? Right. So so being the medical director here at the Betty Ford Center, I thought was going to be it. It was already this wonderful career opportunity. And I didn't think that there were Um, many other opportunities beyond this. But then our chief medical officer 
who is sort of like the head doctor for our whole organization. And we have 16 sites. So the head doctor for all of our sites, he was retiring and it was a surprise. Nobody was expecting this retirement. Nothing bad happened to him. He just made this decision. And honestly, I was halfway through a Darden or shortly into my first year. And I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I'm not prepared. I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet to apply for CMO. And I actually didn't. So it was open for a while. And I just sat on my heads and didn't think that I was worthy at first. I was like, gosh, am, am I even worthy of this? I need to practice my MBA skills first. I need to to, to be better at the job that I am. And uh, after a while, when I read the job description and I dissected all the financials, which they give you, I found that um, I was actually going to be a pretty good candidate. And I was taking a class at the time called Speaking About Business. And the professor there actually helped me directly through the interview process. And that was key. I was actually able to take one of my classes that I was in Darden to help me with the interview process. And it went really well. Well, let's take a moment to acknowledge that faculty member, June West, right? June West. Yeah. Amazing. She was amazing. And when the class started, uh, she asked us what we wanted to get out of that course. And I told her immediately, this is what's happening in my life. And this is how I'm going to directly apply this course. And it was wonderful. Then, then all of my assignments were geared then towards my next interview, which was, um, which was, it was a series of like four to six interviews. Yeah. Imagine there's a few interviews to become the chief medical officer of Betty Ford. A lot. A lot. Yeah. Um, so I want to come back to something you said, um, as you were talking about, you know, looking at this role and kind of thinking like, oh, I haven't had a chance to, I'm like halfway through my MBA. I haven't had a chance to practice my MBA skills. This like, you know, maybe not feeling totally worthy of this role. How did, how did you resolve that in your mind? Because I, I think that's something a lot of people struggle with, particularly as they start to take on more responsibility, feeling like I'm, I'm not the person for this role, more often talking themselves out of it. Right. Yeah, and, and I did. I, I did. I talked myself out of it at the beginning of it. Um, how I got past that was thinking that this is the eventual role that I wanted anyway. And I can learn how to do it. And I have the tools on how to do it. And I can ask people for help. And I don't have to enter the chief medical officer position as already knowing how to be a chief medical officer. I will admit one of the things that they they found very attractive was that I was completing my MBA. So here they were hiring somebody that they knew had the tools and the inspiration to lead their organization. So that's how I got past it was, was being comfortable with the fact that I don't have to know everything to apply and to start the job, that I can gain that knowledge. And I've been in the um, job now for about four or five months. And uh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm learning tons, learning tons about the job and often looking back and saying, also, what were you thinking about? What do you mean you didn't think you could do this? Yeah. So a little bit of, I, I don't like to recognize imposter syndrome too much, but for a short period of time, I had it. Yeah, that, it's, um, I think it's important to talk about your journey there because it feels very authentic uh, to me when I talk with people um, here on the podcast or in, in the program or people going through the career process like you just kind of trying to take that next step in their career and kind of wrestling with that. Mm -hmm. I can do this. I'm not the right person for this. I can do this. I'm not right. the, the back and forth. Um, the other thing that has come up in the conversation I had with some of your classmates, some of the doctors is they felt like the program changed how they show up in meetings and oh, yeah. for, like 
and bear with me here. And I'm going to, I'm going to pair it with they, what they said. This is not necessarily my opinion, but it's something that I thought was really interesting. They said, as doctors, you're constantly asked to walk into a room and tell everybody what's going on. And, and like, you know, this is the situation. This is what we should do. Like, that seems like that's almost incentivized mm-hmm. in the profession. Mm-hmm. However, to be an effective leader, like a truly inclusive leader, you can't operate like that. Um, and it's a little bit different. Yeah. Well, you really put your finger on something that is that I've learned, too, throughout this process. So medically, as a physician, you're absolutely right. Somebody comes to us and they say, Alta, tell me what we should do about when should this patient deliver? What is the best course of action? What are the prognosis? And you have to have an answer right there based on evidence. And this is how we're going to do it. But when you're walking into a boardroom, which I'm in now, it's more collaborative. And you learn about leadership styles. And you really have to take input from your chief nursing officer, input from your chief financial officer, marketing. So it's more of a collaborative rather than a directive type of leadership. And I think that's the threshold that you cross over going from medicine to rather, you know, a different type of leader within the hospital. And in the MBA, I can imagine is particularly helpful because something you said previously about not needing to know everything, I think is I mean, darn, you're constantly reminded of that. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was constantly reminded of things I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. So, right. You know, and that's where that vulnerability comes in. And people like to see that. Your direct reports like to see that you don't show up knowing everything. And you do need their help. And, and that's where it does take this community within your organization where you take input from everybody. And, and they respect the fact that you're asking for their input. They feel valued that way. Well, let's talk a little bit more about speaking about business, because I can't tell you how many people I ran into at Sands Family Grounds who were in this class who were like, this is the greatest class I have taken. And so can you tell us a little bit more about what this class is or was uh, for you and, and, and what you did? Yeah. So uh, it was with uh, June West, who has a lot of experience uh, in this area and what she's taught us or what the, how it was designed is that there are going to be situations where you have to address either virtually or live people that you need to influence or motivate. And what she does, she put us through these several exercises where we were, we gave a talk on how we're going to do that. And it turns out that there are actually sequences that you can use. There are equations, there are solutions like a motivated sequence that you can use when you're talking to um, your troops or your fellow you know, medical officers or something in the hospital. And so she would give us guidance on little on parts that we needed to hit to make our speaking effective. Then we were also critiqued by our classmates who are other professionals. Um, So that's largely how the class went. One of the things that I really liked about it is that it was direct application. Finance, sure, and accounting has its, its place in your MBA, no doubt. But this is exactly what I needed now. I think one of the best uh, classes that I had in there was how to talk virtually with people. So before, when you'd stand up and your presence on the stage is very different in the virtual world. And even as I'm talking to you here, I'm using those things that I brought away from the class, right? Or you appear a certain way in um, in your camera. I'm using my hands, my, you know, as a certain way so that I can get my point across because I'm conscious of the fact that you can only see this much of me (laughs) and I don't have the whole stage to walk around and influence people. So I felt it was directly applicable to what I was doing. And it it gave you something that you just can't learn in books. You have to do it. 
you have to practically get up in front of people and be critiqued. Were there any, what was the biggest surprise for you as you started down that? I mean, I, I can, I can guess at it, but I'm so curious uh, about what, like you get into this and what Probably really. My biggest surprise was that I thought I was like, I knew everything. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be so easy. <laughs> You know, and I I found that there were certain uh, ticks that I had that I'm really trying to work on, and I I noticed how my speech gravitate gravitated towards a certain type of talking when I was with different people, and I'm trying to correct that. So my biggest surprise is that I thought I knew it all, and I didn't. <laughs> so. No, I think that's I think it's a great point, I, particularly if we think we're really good at something. You know, we we it's probably been a while if we think we're really good at it. Um, we might not have gotten as much feedback, as much critical feedback from folks. Um, and so to be critiqued on something, like you have to be open to it. Was that a challenge for you or? Yeah, well, you know, the, what allowed me to be open to it is that the people in my class I had gotten familiar with already for a year and a half. So they weren't strangers who had an axe to grind. They were actually other doctors who were saying, you know, you need to expand on this a little more or talk about this a little more because as a physician, when I talk about a medical thing, I'm assuming everybody else knows. And there are times where I really need to use just plain language to do that. And so um, if it would have been strangers critiquing me, I probably would have been, I've been a little more closed, but because I developed relationships with the other people in our class, it actually just felt like friends talking and helping me out. So Alta, when you look back on, I mean, you're at the point, I think it's fair to say here, you post Q10, you're moving towards LR2. I think you're at the point in the program where it's okay to look back and kind of size up, like, what's been the impact for you? I mean, made an incredible career transition, but what have you taken away from, from your time at Dart? So a lot of the a lot of the leadership principles that were beyond the military have really helped me in a corporate type of environment. So that's really helped me a lot. And then also having all of those Harvard Business Review articles to then go back and reflect upon when I'm trying to think about how I'm going to do a presentation. So that was one of the things that has really, you know, been beneficial in my current job. The other part too, is that when we're in a board meeting, I'm not running the spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm not doing the Excel calculations but I can comment on our EBITDA. I can comment on the NPV. I can comment on the customer lifetime value. Just, just last week, I was talking with our chief financial officer about our credit rating and Mooney's and you know where how, how everything looked with that. And uh, it made me feel more confident when talking to people, gave me the credibility. And then not just the, the credibility, but I actually did know. I actually did know what we were talking about, where we needed to improve. It does feel like the program, you're not going to become an expert in accounting or finance. Um, you, know, you know, that's not what the program is designed to do, uh, but you will become fluent in all of these yes. areas. And, and I think that's something that's really important, particularly for people who want to become leaders, which is much more of a generalist skill set. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, also, what would you share with someone who's thinking about Darden's executive MBA program? What would you encourage them to think about? You know, if I could... Talk to the person who is much like me when, when I applied. And that is tried a couple times and stop the process, sort of quit the process because I didn't think I was going to do it, be able to do it. I didn't think I was going to be able to find the time. And uh, in retrospect, I wish I had applied sooner. You will find the time. 
You don't have to be number one in your class. So if you're applying for the program, you're not going to have to be one number one. Other people in the class understand that you have time commitments and there is a little bit of forgiveness along the way. So don't think that just because you have a family or you have a new career or you're too busy, I wouldn't let those stand in the way. They're doable. There's ways time. There, there's ways to find time and your classmates understand and your teachers support you. I really appreciate that. I think this is a time of year. I mean, we're recording this in May. We've got, well, I should say late April, right right on the verge of May. We've got yeah. a May 10, June 10, June 25 deadline on the horizon. And typically when we're talking to people who are applying here in some of our later rounds, they're really wrestling with like, can I do this? Right. Um, right. And what we always share with people is like, it's really hard to understand when you're going through this as a prospective student or as an applicant, but you'll just find a way through. Yeah. Like, and that's how it works. Right. And if I can put emphasis on like, oh, yeah, well, sure, Alta, that's because you've had this and that. But honestly, Brett, when I did LR1 while packing up my house and driving across country to California, as soon as I got to California and we were in a hotel, I was online at five o'clock in the morning doing those. You find time and then starting a new job all during COVID, my kids on Zoom classrooms. Sounds like chaos, but it's doable. It's doable. And it's for 22 months of your life. And then and then you're golden. You know, if you can just hold your breath, stand on your head <laughs> for 22 months, there is a way to do that. You can do this. I'm not a super person. You know, you, you could do this. And it feels to me like students pick up momentum through the program, like where you start. Yeah, there's some friction. There's some startup, like uh, just trying to figure out how to make all this work. But at some point, it may not necessarily be smooth, but like you've got some quarters behind you, you've completed some yeah. classes. You, you kind of maybe start to pick up a rhythm. Right. You know, and one of the things that helped me too is that when I was having trouble uh, understanding maybe hurdle rate or something like that, I went to my instructor and I just said, hey, listen, this is not my background. I'm an MD. I have no idea. But explain this to me in normal terms. And then they took this 30 minutes out when they were at their own home, you know, on my time schedule here on the Pacific Coast to, to help me with that. So showed that vulnerability, asked them what I needed to do to apply this to my current work situation. And that really eased a lot of my anxiety of, am I going to be able to do this? Yeah, you do have a whole support network of, of folks. You've got your classmates, you've got folks in your in your personal life. You got you also have uh, incredible faculty staff yeah. that really helps. I mean, it's a it's an incredible group of people who work with uh, the executive MBA program. We can't say enough good things about the program, faculty, and staff. Um, just just an awesome yeah. group, and they, and they I think the faculty have such such respect for the students who are doing this. In that, like, man. You are you are fitting this into a very full life, a very full schedule, and they understand that the executive MBA students are juggling a lot while they're doing the program. Um, so, last question here for you: um, What are you excited about when you look forward? You know, a few months, a year out in the future. What What are you really excited about? Also? Really, I'm honing my craft here, honing my leadership levels, uh, leadership I uh, game. And uh, bringing it to levels that I didn't have maybe a year and a half, two years ago, being a more productive part of the other executives in my organization. So that's probably the biggest part. 
I also, <laughs> this is a little glimpse into my life. I love being able when I'm, I'm hearing the news or reading the Wall Street Journal to know exactly what they're talking about. Like right now, we're having this incredible inflation and, you know, other uh, economic measures. I'm looking forward to being able to say, I know exactly what they're talking about and explaining it to somebody else or somebody in my company. Yeah, that's one of the things in the program for students when they hit that moment. It's sometimes in the program, sometimes after the program, world event happens, financial thing happens. Somebody says, anybody, know, what is this about? And they can yeah. absolutely explain it and do it in a way that's comprehensible. And they couldn't have done that before the program. It may seem small, but I think it's it's very empowering to people um, to, to be able to bring that perspective. So, well, Alta, such a pleasure. I'm so glad we finally got the schedule. I'm so happy for you. Congratulations on your new role. You know, one of the fantastic one of the most fun things for your admissions folks uh, here is to see people come from, you know, where they were before the program to where they are at this point and just all the, all the life and work and exciting things that happen um, during the 21, 22 months of the program. It's, it's incredible. So congratulations. Thanks, Brett. And that was my interview with Alta Daru, a member of our executive MBA class of 2022. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. You can be reached at exact. That's E-X-E-C, MBA at darden.virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.